As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Caitlin Trumbley, current lead narrative designer at Capybara. So join us as we explore our journey. So today I'm joined by Caitlin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very, very well. We've, we were just discussing before we actually started the show. We've managed to sync this up nicely. For you, it is 8 a.m. in the morning as we speak, and for me, 10 p.m. And we're we're kicking goals. We've solved all sorts of technical problems to get this thing up and running. We are peaking at the moment, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm still on my first coffee. So. <laughs> and the perk for you is the whole day is ahead. So you'll be kicking goals all day after this. We we're off to a good start. Yeah, that's the Thank plan. Thank you very much for coming on. Oh yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. No, I, re- I really appreciate it. Um, reaching out and you're happy to come aboard. That's that's fantastic. I really appreciate it. So, this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that's led to this current point in time. And there's some fantastic credits that you've got there, and some really awesome achievements. That uh, as I was as I was doing my research and uh, as we discussed before, I've been following along for a little while and just seeing what you've been up to and. There's some really, really cool things I look forward to discussing with you shortly. But before we get to all of that, I'd love to rewind to a point before you actually got into writing for games and, and explore some of the games that you might have played prior. What Do you recall what some of your first gaming experiences were, even the first game was that you actually played? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up with two older brothers and my mom, yep. and I very vividly remember my first game being Big Bird's Egg Drop. And playing that on the Atari with my mom as a little kid. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, so I've, I definitely have been playing games pretty much my whole life. Um, that was That's like, I don't really remember much about Egg Bur- or Big Bird's Egg Drop, obviously, because I was very young. Um, but that did mean, like, I kind of went on to play pretty much games in my entire childhood, right? And so, like, yep. I grew up really loving games like Quake and the original Unreal and Baldur's Gate. Um Fair contrast, though, between a Sesame Street title to begin with, though. I mean, I grew up a little bit in between that time, and like I said, I had older brothers, so I think I was always kind of playing up a little bit outside of my age range. Um, Once you dipped your toes in, it was just yeah speeding along from that point onwards yeah it was just natural like the same way that like i would read books or we'd watch tv like games are just part of our household growing up yeah um because of my brothers so they also so we had a sega genesis and i remember getting so in love with the shining force series to the point where like me and my brothers to this day still play shining force and we'll like text each other and compare notes on our teams and talk about our strategy nice yeah and so it's this really it's this like JRPG tactic or SRPG tactics game that I just adore so, so much. Um, And I think that was a really big part for me about like how I kind of like got into games, started playing games because that was that sharing aspect with my brother as well. Like it wasn't just playing the game, but it was like, okay, how are you playing the game? Yeah, exactly. So, so those are some of my favorite early games. I haven't thought about Shining Force in a long, long time. So I was I was a Nintendo kid for the most part, but I did get to dabble with Shining Force with uh, you know other friends that had happened to have Sega platforms back in the day, and I took quite a liking to it. It's been a long time since I've thought about Shining Force, and now you've just pricked my interest. Maybe I'll have to go back and just re-ingratiate myself with those and see see if the love is still there decades on. 
Yeah, and like I have no way of not being biased when I say I think it's legitimately still good. So, yeah, <laughs> but I do think no, it's legitimately still good. So, I'll I'll take your word for it, and I'll I'll have to dip my toes in again sometime soon. How did your tastes develop from there? Were there any particular franchise as you got a little bit older, and I guess you had more access to to consoles or even PC gaming or whatever variants that that might have taken? Were there any particular franchises or even standalone games and genres that maybe you took a liking to or really associated with? Um, I got really into Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII, and I know Final Fantasy VIII became a really big moment for me in terms of how I kind of grapple with genre and what I really started to like about characters and trying to start kind of defining a bit more of, like, my tastes slightly. Um, But after that point, I kind of actually fell off of games because I got really into books and then spent the next uh, decade or so just doing reading only books and not really engaging with much other media at the time so there's actually like there was a gap of years where I was not playing any games at all and then had to do a lot of catch-up afterwards does this mean that as a result and this is this is me just being totally uh selfish and focusing on my own personal preferences for a moment does this mean that you missed out on playing the very best game in the franchise Final Fantasy 9 I did. It did because that was the exact time I fell off. I know. I've had so many people have that exact same reaction when I'm like, I love Final Fantasy VIII. And they're like, okay, but Final Fantasy IX? It's like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. We can can fix that up at some point, I'm sure. The opportunity will come. Yeah. I'll just need to take a week off work and just settle down and play. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just a few little, few hours dedicated to that one. Yeah. So, um... The books was it were there particular was there a particular series at all that you really attached to, or did you have a ver- fairly broad selection of titles or, or authors that you followed? So it was actually incredibly myopic. I got really into horror really young, and oh, just, yeah? yeah, that's all I would consume. So I was reading Stephen King at an inappropriately young age. <laughs> I was reading Anne Rice before I was even old enough to babysit. Um, right. I got, yeah, I got really into like Dracula and Frankenstein. So I just, I just really fell in love with horror very, very early on, um, and it would just consume anything horror related that I could. And I remember watching Scream when it came out with my mom, and just like. <laughs> watching horror movies as early as i possibly could and that that just became my genre it was just everything to me no i mean how how old are we talking about when you first got uh, when you first introduced yourself or were introduced to the likes of stephen king i mean like definitely around the age of 10 (laughs) yeah okay that's early who am i to judge (laughs) yeah that 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 feels early just as i think about some of the some of the content over the years I've, i've read a few a few of stephen king's books i've caught a few of stephen king's movies not all in either in either space there in either medium but um it feels early <laughs> yeah it was a bit but <laughs> but it doesn't seem like it scarred you in any way so who cares yeah exactly i'm all the better for it i hope <laughs> and so obviously early on uh, games did take a bit of a backseat there for a while but you did have this passion for for both writing and games and at what point did you consider the possibility that you could actually blend those two interests together it wasn't I, I, re- I read that there was a blog that you were writing for for a while there uh, a friend's blog that you were writing for we i think you spoke a little bit about games in that space is that right yeah so it was around uh 2011 actually so i at this point for context like i would have been ending my bachelor's and starting or finishing yep. my master's um so it was actually around the time that i was deep in academia and education studying english literature specifically 
um, that a friend of mine reached out to me and said that he was starting up a games criticism and games journalism website and wanted to know if I would edit for it because he knew that like I was nerdy and I liked that kind of stuff and that you know obviously I was training as an editor and and all this stuff yeah. so um yeah leveraging so it was a few interests yeah exactly um so it was about a decade ago actually yeah that i started thinking about games again critically i got invited to edit and so by editing i kind of really had to re-immerse myself back into the world of games and kind of just play yeah. speedy catch up on everything i missed right <laughs> but, um, but not final fantasy 9 but not final fantasy 9 <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> Yeah, and that was really fun because it was I was getting really burnt out on academia. Like I loved literature and I loved books, but I was just yeah. I was just getting really burnt out. And so kind of falling back into games was really exciting because it was kind of a way for me to re-engage with stories, but without all of the baggage of like, oh, I have an essay due or I have to mark papers or I have to like write yes. about this, right? Yeah, like right. I I could just engage with it and just enjoy it. Um, and I just loved it. And I loved learning about the games industry. Like taking that very first editing job back in like 2011 was really exciting because it just kind of let me fully immerse myself in this world and catch up and just like figure out everything that was going on. And I just, yeah. I liked it. I liked it so much more than academia or the book publishing world, which I was currently on track to enter. Yes. Um, it was just interesting. It was just exciting. And, and it felt like things were happening there that you weren't really seeing other places. So pretty much from the moment on from that from that second i was hooked was there as you were kind of delving back through some of the games you'd missed over that period was there anything that really struck your fancy and like oh my god i can't believe i missed this like this is incredible or or even some titles that you i mean yes you'd, you'd stop playing for a while but i presume that you know they're, they're still around you you're probably hearing about whatever the big thing happened to be at the time were there any like i've now got to go back and i've got to try this this is my opportunity to go and play game x yeah. Was there any of that at all? Yeah, it was Borderlands. <laughs> I actually oh, I actually credit so much uh to playing Borderlands because it was the it was the first game that I really got interested in really sunk into once I kind of came back into games. Um yeah. and I just loved it. Everything about it was just so perfect. I was coming off of doing a really um heady kind of critical theory uh thesis on like constructive versions of like talking about masculinity and how we kind of talk yep. about uh different metaphors for masculinity and stuff like this right and so like borderlands just kind of confronted all of this in a very bombastic kind of head-on way that i was just instantly taken with and so in love with um and it's the right kind of there's a bit of subversive humor in there that's paired with toilet humor and that's just my exact jam <laughs> the right the right blend yeah, I like something that's smart and clever, but it also isn't afraid to make fart jokes or, or things like that, right? Like, to me, that's that's what I love. <laughs> and so yeah. Borderlands just hit exactly what I wanted when I needed something. Um, and from there on that, like, from there on out, it was just, I, there was no turning back. I mean, I'm with you on Borderlands. You can possibly see in the background here, obviously, this is an audio podcast for any, anyone listening, but in the background there at the top, I've got loot chests piled on top of loot chests. Like, I'm, I'm with you on Borderlands. It's a fantastic <laughs> franchise, and I do love the humor involved. So, um, can completely support that one. And I guess, and this is skipping ahead slightly, but uh, I, did that all have, play a big part in Ain't No Place for a Hero, the Borderlands book that you wrote? Yeah, yeah. So, I did end up writing an entire book on Borderlands. <laughs> which became like a running awesome. gag yeah it's cool it was fun it became a running joke between me and my friends or it's like people can't talk to me about games without me bringing up borderlands um, and so the pitch for the submission to be in the part of this book series because the book series it's a part of is called 
um, pop classics. And they basically just like, what is that popular culture thing that you just can't shut up about? (laughs) Like, what is the thing your friends are so tired of hearing you talk about? We want you to write a book on that. Um, And so at first I was like, oh, I don't know. I could talk about horror. I could talk about Godzilla. I could talk about this stuff. And then like, my roommate at the time was just like, it's Borderlands. You could just write a whole book on Borderlands. (laughs) And I was like, hey, that's actually true. I could do that. Um, Not realizing as you as you're asking these questions out loud at the time that you're actually sitting there still playing Borderlands <laughs> as you're asking these questions, and the answer was right there in front of you. Exactly, I played this game seven times. What could I possibly say about this? <laughs> Don't know where I'd be able to source any thoughts or opinions from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I guess as we rewind uh, a little bit prior to that, um, so I've got listed here some some uh, the activities you got up to. So we got uh, Pop Sandbox there, where you were marking coordinator, working on Pipe Trouble. Um, what was that period like? So that was a, a really important period for me. So I, I got hooked up with Pop Sandbox when I was still actually studying to become a book editor um, for the publishing industry. And I actually ended up meeting up with Pop Sandbox because they were primarily a multimedia studio before they were working on games. And so they had released books and magazines and, and transmedia and wanted to get into games. And so I met him because of that kind of intersection, right? So like I had a publishing background, I knew that kind of world. I also understood games because at this point I had already been doing uh, editing and writing for that games website for about a year, year and a half at this time. And so like I kind of was that Venn diagram of I need people who know about this space and I need people who know about this space because I'm interested in going there. And so that's kind of how we got hooked up. Um, yeah, and it was, it was neat. It was it was really cool getting to work with a publishing company that wanted to move into games while I was a publishing grad that didn't yet know I wanted to do games full time. Uh, so, yeah. so it was fun. I mean, working on Pipe, Pipe Trouble was a really awesome experience, and I'm I'm really glad I got to, to have that experience because a lot of it was really unconventional, right? Like we had this idea yeah. that we wanted to build custom arcade cabinets and put the game in the arcade cabinets, but that wasn't enough for us. We also wanted to physically move those arcade cabinets around Toronto. <laughs> and so, yeah, okay. yeah so my There's first logistical component, right? Yeah. So my first gig is, you know, helping marketing, helping market this game and also moving these giant six feet tall arcade cabinets around Toronto. And I'm five foot nothing. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, right. Yeah. So I helped, I was in charge of moving these cabinets around Toronto, which is a city I didn't really know at the time. Right. I had just recently moved there. Um, and so yes. it was, it was a really cool, like crash course in like, what is, what is, um, this kind of grassroots marketing that we want to do? What is the city that I now find myself living in? And also like, what are the production things about making a video game that I had no idea about before? Um, and getting to sit in like the sound booth. In the deep end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it was cool too because we got to, I got to sit in the sound booth and work with the band that we had hired to do the OST yep. and just it was just kind of like thrown into the deep end of every angle of video game production very early on and it was really really cool and I'm I'm really grateful about that experience. Now, you obviously had that writing background, but you've as you just mentioned you got exposed to so many different facets. Was there any temptation at any point uh, sorry, when when did that moment come along? Was it with Pipe Trouble where you realized okay, I want to pursue this in whatever capacity, but I want to pursue this full time. Like this is a career that I want to, uh, that I want to pursue. Yeah. It actually, through that project. No, it actually happened a little bit later. So I, for a while was doing book publishing full time while also doing video game stuff on the side or part time um, freelance. And so I was, definitely burning the candle at both ends really hard doing full-time book editing trying to make myself a name in that in that industry while also doing the exact same thing 
in this other industry. <laughs> and Be so, more of an educational focus, was that right? Like I've got listed Rubicon Publishing and Inhabit Education and I, I looked at some of the titles there and they certainly had a, a bit of an education sort of bent, I suppose. Yeah, primarily education. Yeah. I did do some adult fiction freelancing. Actually, I did quite a bit of adult fiction freelancing, um, but my primary stuff was education for kids, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's all quite cool and obviously, yeah, exploring a whole bunch of different facets. So just... Yeah, winding back then to, to pop sandbox was there obviously you have that writing background you've experienced a whole bunch of different other facets and, and disciplines within the industry there was there any temptation to pursue something else or did you always have in mind like I, I whatever i do in the future i still want to make writing a massive part of that yeah i was desperate to write i wanted to write yeah. so badly and i the thing is i didn't know how to do it right the only way like i knew how to write obviously but i didn't know how to yeah. make writing my career um being in the book publishing industry I really felt like my role was always going to be editor and I didn't think I would have a lot of time to write novels or short stories while also doing that and so I had kind of I had kind of in a sense written off my writing career um, yeah, okay. yeah and then with pop sandbox because I came out in marketing writing was also kind and like pipe trouble doesn't have a ton of writing anyways um, and so writing was kind of still walled off from me there um, and I, I remember this moment so so clearly because I wanted I wanted to be a writer so desperately and didn't really know how to start doing it and I was talking to the programmer on Pipe Trouble about this. And he was just like, well, then just make your own game and just write it. And I was like, yeah, but like... Sounds so simple. <laughs> yeah, I'm a writer. I, I don't know how to computer. <laughs> like, I can't make a game. And then he was like, sure you can. Like, there's tools and there's communities. And he actually introduced me to DMG, um, which is... Yeah, okay. yeah and they were... The, like, DMG was the first group of people that were just like, yeah, you can, like, make a game even without knowing how to program like you could just do it and so that was kind of so pipe trouble was kind of the turning point for me in the sense of like it introduced me to the idea of oh just go make a game yourself and do yeah, and do the do things it. you wanted yeah so so that was really cool that's really cool so i mean like usually my my next question would be like what was that uh what was that moment that prompted you to pursue it further but you've, you've kind of answered that pretty comprehensively there so Obviously, as we mentioned, there was there was a lot of writing going on in the background through through a number of years. There, you were working, as you said, uh, burning the candle at both ends. There, you were doing a lot of writing. You were still working with with uh, Pop Sandbox. There was all this freelance uh, writing that you were starting to do on the side as well. So I've I've listed a whole host of different credits here. Um, the next step spotlight. There's Solar State. There's Last Taxi. Bad Astronaut. Of course, uh, one of the more notable ones because I believe it was something that prompted the opportunity with Ubisoft being the Mortician's Tale. Um, what was that like kind of as those sort of opportunities to actually get involved with games emerged, building on what you just discussed with DMG and actually getting to kind of go and do a little bit more yourself? What was that like as you're, as you're bouncing from uh, studio to studio and I guess working with different teams in uh, fairly similar capacities? Would that be about right? Yeah, so when I was freelancing, I got to work with yeah all so many different types of teams and so many different types of games, right? From like escape rooms to ARGs to indie games to um, mobile games, right? And like yeah. uh, that period of my life where I was freelancing, I just loved. I loved it so much. Like I, I don't think I would ever want to go back to freelancing per se, or at least not at this moment. But it was yes. really exciting to get to kind of test out my skill and my and like have all these different arenas to learn to learn what I now know right and like yeah, I the was, nature of the projects would really dictate the way you are actually going about your writing yeah exactly and I just I wanted to learn everything there was about interactive games writing 
And that meant, like, for me, like, exploring as many different types and formats of that as possible. So so I really liked that period because, yeah, I got to do ARGs and learn the very particular design, the way of designing an ARG and how you kind of engage with this live audience and how, and how you f- create puzzles around this fantasy. Yeah. Um, but then getting to go do mobile games that are focused on, you know, developing friendships and romance and kind of building choice-based, you know, designs. And then something like yeah. Mortician's Tale, which is really deeply researched and a really kind of it had a lot to say and I knew I needed to make sure it said that thing very well um yeah and so I I I love that period of my life and I feel like I credit that period of my life for a lot because it really gave me the room and the flexibility to learn as much as possible about how to make games and how to write games and actually a very condensed timeline because I was doing so many things at the same time and they were overlapping yeah was was that uh, the, I guess that overlap that you just described there was that a bit of a challenge for you though as you're trying to get yourself from one mindset into another and then potentially into another as you're juggling these different projects that again have different needs uh, they're presumably also at different stages of development as well so sometimes you might be going and just trying to connect a few dots based on some other decisions that have been made others you might be at some of the earlier stages where you're still trying to outline a larger scale kind of concept for potentially the narrative or whatever the case happens to be was that a real challenge for you getting yourself in the right headspace for the different projects yeah it was an immense challenge um for somebody who didn't know a lot about game narrative processes and productions to then go into okay here's all these different types of games at different stages of production that need have different requirements go uh was definitely a big challenge and probably not like the smartest way to get into learning how to make games and things like that um but i was there a worry that you were trying to spin too many plates and that as a result you may do potentially none of them well was that a worry that you might have had yeah oh yeah i was constantly plagued by that worry i wanted to do this was my dream at this point right like i wanted to be a full-time writer and i loved games so much and i wanted to do a really good job so i was constantly worried that because i was doing too much i was messing it all up right um but I had really great teams that were really supportive and awesome and kind of really helped me fill in the gaps of what I needed to know. Um, I was also really fueled by, uh, I'm fueled by spite, but I'm also fueled by the oh. idea of like a challenge. And so the, the more challenging it got, the more invested I became and the more heads down I got about learning it and how to do it properly and how to, you know, get those skills. Um so I think it, it it was a bit of a, a pressure cooker that worked really well for me in particular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how many projects do you feel like at any given moment, or maybe at the I guess at the busiest moment, how many projects projects do you think you were spinning at the same time? I think I, I think my biggest was about three, no, oh, okay. four four to five I think. Um, all at various stages. Some that were hey let's put together. A, just a document, like a game design document with like the narrative structures and places in order so we can get funding and here's like, okay, write for our prototype and here's, okay, write for our game that we're going to be shipping and here's design a full mobile game that's going to go worldwide in seven months and and so everything was at very different stages, um, but it was probably terrifying. yeah, it, it, was, it was also good because having two projects in the same stage is even worse <laughs> so it was kind of nice at least yeah, okay. in the sense that they were spread out because I, my shipping brain and I know this now but I didn't know, I didn't know this at the time but yeah. my shipping brain is so different from my pre-production brain which is so different from my support brain which is different from my consulting brain um, and so and the fact that you yeah. ha- the fact that you were able to disconnect from one and slide into another and then slide into another was actually better than having to try and work in the same space for two different projects yeah yeah I think it 
I think it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot in a really quick time. Um, and it, it helped me kind of understand how I react to timelines and how I react to, you know, development cycles and, and kind of what I, I, I learned really quickly what I needed, what I needed to work properly and what I was excited yeah. about. So, And I guess another thing, so working on so many different projects, you, you're working potentially in some cases, you might've been the sole writer, I'm guessing, but in other cases, you might've been working with others. So I assume you... Uh, and bouncing from team to team at these various stages, you would have learned a lot from these people with all their various, uh, their varying levels of experience and experiences that they've had. Yeah, definitely. Like I got to work with teams of so many different sizes in different capacities too. Like some I got to work under a lead writer. Some I was put into the position of being a lead writer and coaching other writers yeah. how to how to do what I had just learned how to do. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. It wasn't even just the writers that I learned so much from as well. It was a lot of game designers and artists yeah. and like just getting to see everybody doing their thing in such a unique way exposed a lot of game development production to me that, yeah, definitely onboarded me to what the process is like so, so quickly. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there with one point. Like, I think there's a lot of people who aren't necessarily a part of the industry maybe aren't students of it in any way that they think okay you're a writer so you write you're a programmer so you program but i don't think they necessarily there's there's a misunderstanding or that misconception that that's all that person does and and to an extent obviously their their primary role is to do is to write or is to program or is to you know uh, create sound effects or whatever the case happens to be but all of these disciplines intermingle in various different ways one uh, something you do impacts something someone else does so having that understanding of how those other disciplines work and what you can do to either support or um or just how your work impacts what someone else is going to be doing is is huge and i'm sure you would have learned a lot from that yeah and it, it really taught me a lot of like what i what I love about games and why I ultimately decided to leave book publishing behind and go into games full time was that collaboration, that working with everybody to kind of make the thing happen and leaning on different people for different strengths was just, it was really exciting to me. And that was how I knew I wanted to work was I wanted to work deeply yeah. collaboratively with other people. Was that a hard decision to, to leave uh, book publishing and writing behind or was it, was it so obvious to you at that point? It, yeah, it was so obvious to me at that point, but it was still really sad. Like I had spent like a good 20 years of my life knowing what I wanted to do. And that was, I want to go and I want to edit and I want to write books. Like I, I want to work with books. And then when I started working with books and realized I actually liked and was more excited by the problems and the challenges and the interesting bits of the games industry, there was kind of no, no turning back for me. Um, yeah. I knew I would never be as happy in book publishing as I was in video games. So, so no, that's fair. Yeah, so making the decision was easy, but actually saying goodbye and like leaving was it was kind of hard because it was closing a chapter on my life and my identity and, and who I had always understood myself as. But but I don't regret it. I'm incredibly happy and thriving where I am. So yeah, I mean, and I, look, I suspect this is not me reaching in any way, shape, or form. But I mean, you probably wouldn't be where you are today had it still not been for those experiences, regardless. So they're incredibly valuable, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. So there's so much about having been an editor and working in the unique constraints of book publishing that inform yeah. how I work today, right? Like it, it's given me a lot Absolutely. of my skills. So that's fantastic to hear. So with all those projects and you're working in a freelance capacity through, and I listed a whole bunch of games there and there's a few others I've got noted down that I didn't mention as well. Um, how did Ubisoft come into the mix from here? Because after this period of freelance work, you got an opportunity with Ubisoft, uh, you worked on Watch Dogs Legion, but how did that opportunity first emerge? 
Yeah. Was it, was it an opening that you applied for? Was it someone that you'd work with that recommended you? Was it, like, How did that actually come about? Yeah, so um, Liz England actually DM'd me on Twitter and asked if I was interested in interviewing for it. <laughs> um, Liz was somebody that I had kind of known a bit through, like, just the Twitter circle and also I was yeah. I was doing a quite a bit of like public speaking and conventions and talking about my work up to this date and so like kind of had a little bit of that networking going on um yes yeah and so I didn't know that the role was open at that time and was invited to interview like um they weren't like we want to hire you immediately they were like no you still have to interview and you still have to like prove there's a process <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, gotta keep things above board yeah and I was interested in doing it because this was around the same time that I was starting to really want a team. Like I, I was loving yeah, okay. freelancing and I was loving just the, the freedom of creative control I had. Like I had so much creative autonomy, um, but I was really kind of starting to crave a little bit more roots, right? And so I was actually around the same time looking at starting my own studio and kind of starting okay. to get like funding in place and look at incorporation and kind of understanding how I could go about building a team around me. Yeah. Um, when this opportunity came up to work at Ubisoft and I was like, you know what, like I, I haven't worked in AAA. There's a lot I could probably learn from AAA and from people there. It's probably a really good opportunity for me to grow in ways that I haven't yet grown. Um, and yeah. so, so when the opportunity came along, it was also kind of like one of those no brainers where I was like, yeah, okay. Like I, I, I want what I can learn from this. I'm excited about meeting people in this field and also like, um, a lot of a lot of the contracts and games I had worked on in that freelance period got cancelled or didn't get funding. Yeah, okay. And so I was also kind of feeling a little bit sad of like I'm tired of like putting so much effort into things that are never seeing the light of day, right? Um and going to UB felt like a very clear like this game will ship. <laughs> and yeah. so I was like, I mean, okay. There's no, there's no yeah. guarantees ever in this industry, but certainly compared to maybe what you had, yeah. you could feel far more confident. Yeah, exactly. So so that was kind of what propelled me along that path and, and got me to join Ubisoft. So we'll continue with uh, with Ubisoft properly in a moment, but just to kind of focus on what you were talking about there about going solo or breaking out on your, on your own and forming your own studio. And I assume you maybe had an idea for a project in mind. Is that something that you've kind of got just written away, written down and stashed away somewhere so that maybe one day I can, I can wheel out this idea again and actually act on it? Or is that something that you've kind of kicked to the curb now that you've entered this, this space and obviously you've moved on from Ubisoft since, but... Um, is that that idea just gathering dust somewhere? Yeah, I have everything I need for it in one place, right? Like oh, I good. have, I have the funding materials, I have the pitch documents, I have the GDD, I have all my samples. Like I have the budget, I have the timeline, like all of that work that I put into that setup is there and exists. I think there's a lot I'd want to redo about it now, just having yeah. knowing how like my skills and my sensibilities have changed. But but that project exists in a pretty coherent form still. <laughs> oh, great. And so I guess it's just a case of, you know, right place, right time, and maybe you'll revisit it. Yeah, exactly. It's, I don't think it's, it's a closed book, but it's, uh, I don't know what it's going to do just yet. So yeah, just pop it on the shelf and come back to it later. No, I, I, I'm fascinated to see what happens in that space then. Who knows? It may not be for a long time, but I'm really fascinated to see what comes of all that then. Um, so on the Ubisoft, when you, when you went through that process, um, for interviews and and everything that might have been involved with that did you know that the project was Watch Dogs Legion at that point or was it a more general sort of I'm apply, I'm applying for a spot at this studio I guess once I arrive I'll know what we're working on yeah I, ha- I had no idea what project I was interviewing yeah. for um what I did know was 
what kind of excited Liz and what kind of excited the other people I was interviewing with. Yeah, okay. Um, and so I, I had an idea that it was going to be something I was going to be really interested in and something that I was going to really enjoy sinking my teeth into. Um, but I had no formal idea what IP it was yeah. or anything like that. So so at no point did you go, oh, it might be a Watch Dogs title? There was, there was none of that? No, not until did- I had already like signed the contract yeah, okay. and was on the call with somebody being like, okay, so you, you're going to start tomorrow and you'll be on Watch Dogs. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, write that down on Watch Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and was that, you know, were you quite excited by the idea when, when you thought Watch Dogs or, or even in that limbo period once, you, once you'd been hired but you didn't know what the project was, did, did you had you jumped to any sort of conclusions at that point or was there something in particular you were like, oh, I'd really love, now that I'm here, I'd love to work on Far Cry or Assassin's Creed or or Watch Dogs or whatever it ended up being. Did you have the ideas just racing through your mind at that point? No, I purposefully didn't let myself entertain any of those thoughts because I didn't want to be yeah. disappointed. So I kind of wanted to go in pretty yeah, okay. like neutral to whatever, whatever it was going to be. I wanted, I didn't want that to be like, a letdown or an excitement or whatever, yeah. right? So uh, clean slate for all. Yeah, exactly. No, that, that that makes a lot of sense. And so once once you did learn, okay, it's it's Watch Dogs, and we're working on a new one here. What was what was your first thought at that point? Um, was there some sort of at the time that you joined the team? Was there some sort of base idea already in place? So what what did you have to work with when when you first joined? Yeah, so a lot of the core idea was already kind of there, had already been vetted, um, and was in place and being worked on. So I kind of, I I was really excited about it, because I I really like that kind of like, um, contemporary sci-fi, which sounds kind of like an oxymoron, but I I like sci-fi that takes place in like, our world, and it's kind of like that soft sci-fi a lot. Um, And so I was really excited about kind of getting to grapple with that specifically and it was a hacking game and I had worked on at this point a pretty realistic hacking ARG that I don't think ended up shipping um but or maybe it's still maybe it has I don't know I haven't checked up on it (laughs) um but at that point I had already yeah right I had already done a pretty heady hacking ARG so I was already really familiar with a lot of like the hacking world and terminology and the kind of uh, opportunities there and stuff like that so yeah. I was I was actually pretty excited because I was like oh this feels like my wheelhouse right like I know sci-fi I know hacking like let's let's do this so no that that's pretty cool how did you go with the ideas you know watchdogs legion was something when, when, when it was first revealed to the world uh, and it was presented to me my first thought was oh so there's not like, I'm so used to and I think most forms of medium whether it's you know books games film television whatever there's always this at least one or maybe a series of kind of lead clearly identifiable protagonists versus the structure of Watch Dogs Legion which it didn't necessarily have that and it was uh, was that a challenge when you were trying to as a not just yourself but as a team try and and write to that structure that model yeah it was I, I think like it was exciting for that reason right like like I said earlier like I thrive when there's a challenge and something that I kind of have to work hard at making work um and so it was definitely kind of like oh okay cool so (laughs) this really big challenge of how do we make a triple a open world game function with no protagonist was really interesting um but it it was actually really cool because it gave the narrative team there a lot of room to work together and so it was a deeply supportive and collaborative team that was really really awesome like the narrative team there um, was just phenomenal to kind of be a part of and to kind of watch go because everybody had to work so closely and in sync and share ideas and just make sure that we are all kind of 
on the same page at all times yes. and running at the same speed. Um, so it was a really cool opportunity to kind of get to engage in this problem space. First off, as like, what's what's the design problem? What's the writing problem? How are we going to solve this? How are we going to tackle this? But then also like, what's the process problem? What's the workflow problem? Like, how do we work together? How do we you know support each other? How do we still have autonomy and own the things we want to, but you know make sure that everything feels cohesive and is working together? Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, I mean, as I was as I was jotting my notes for the episode, I'm thinking like, how do you write for the potential dozens, hundreds of potential options that could could be there for the player and and create a character, whoever that happens to be, that still will carry some sort of weight for the player. It, it still baffles me how you and the team managed to achieve that. It's it's fantastic accomplishment. Um, wh- what where was your head at at the time? Like we worried that like are we going to be able to stick this landing like where was the head at as it was getting close to launch time i guess um i mean like so i had left before we launched actually because i had actually transitioned off of the main game and was leading the narrative for our post-launch uh roadmap so i had already kind of wrapped my my main work by the time uh by the time I was ready to move on. And so I wasn't there for launch, but um, I do remember constantly just feeling like, not necessarily like, I I was really confident in the writing we had produced because it was an exceptional team of writers. And I know that we had tackled it in the way that made sense for our team and for the game and our tools. So I was always really confident about that. Um, I was always really proud of that, but I was always like, how are people going to respond? <laughs> and like the, the question for me was it's always like, are people going to like this? <laughs> are people interested in this? Right? Like I knew we had done uh, the job that we wanted to do and, and, and tackled it the way that we wanted to tackle it um, from a story. Perspective. But how would people respond? Yeah. But how will people respond? <laughs> uh, and people responded well. And uh, you know, there's, I still see um, some Twitch streamers responding to like the main character voice that I wrote, just absolutely loving her and like being really happy. And so like, that that's kind of always really nice. Yeah, I mean it's 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 always good regardless of what someone does when you when you take a risk, you try something different, do something new and it works or at least by and large works. Like that must be an incredibly satisfying feeling because I certainly within games, I can't really think of anything like that off the top of my head anyway. I'm sure there's probably possibly something out there because I feel like there's 50 games a day coming out these days, but I can't think of anything else like that. So it's an incredible accomplishment, especially on that scale. There's certainly nothing on that scale to what you and the team accomplished. So congratulations on all that. It's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's cool. (laughs) So from there, as you you mentioned, worked on some of the the, the post-launch roadmap work there, but it also leads to today where you're with the team at Cappy. So how did the departure from Ubisoft come about and how did that opportunity to Cappy uh, at Cappy open up to? Um, I, I've been in the Toronto game scene for so long and like Cappy's in Toronto, obviously. Um, yeah. And so I, I kind of knew people that were working there and was kind of, you know, getting a little bit like itchy to get back to indie. Like I really enjoyed yeah, okay. working on that scale of game and, and everything that we were doing. Um, but I was kind of like, I don't know, there, there's problems in indie that I was interested in solving, right? Like I'm so like, problem and challenge oriented <laughs> and yes. I was kind of thinking through it was like okay what's my next challenge which what's the next thing I kind of want to tackle um and so that's kind of what made me want to go back to indie post triple a yeah. um was just like okay I now want to take these skills that I have and solve different problems <laughs> was Cappy the team that you had in your head like I would love it to be them I'd love it to be them or or was it just one of those ones that kind of oh, an opportunity that fell in your lap per se 
Um, it was one of the teams. Yeah, so I, I actually spend a bit of time interviewing with quite a few different studios and chatting yeah. with different people. I kind of wanted to make sure, like, if I was leaving, I wanted to make sure I was leaving for the right place. And so, yeah, yeah so I did do my, what I call my due diligence of just, like, you know, like, making sure where I go next is where I want to be um, and not just, like, a, com- uh, a convenient thing, right? Um, so so Cappy yeah. was definitely a studio that I had always really admired. Like, Sword and Sorcery was such a... Yeah, right. And it's such a foundational game for me. And like, oh, this is what games can be, right? Like, like we can make games like this. Um, and so I've always held Cappy in such high regard and such a special place in my heart that uh, knowing that they, you know, had room for a narrative person to come on was was a really exciting opportunity for me. Yeah, and so since you've arrived, you've been working on the roadmap for Grindstone, which just huge when that game first launched. Um, what was it like working on that one? Oh, it's been uh, so much fun. Uh, I love Grindstone. It's an incredibly fun game to play. Isn't it? So I, I can say that because I didn't work on the main game when it first shipped. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I yeah, no, loved it. No bias here. Right, yeah, of course. No bias at all. <laughs> um, I loved it. So I, I loved playing Grindstone so much and getting to work with the team and getting to work specifically on like helping develop like the roadmap and the update cycle and kind of how we can continue to expand and grow the world has been really awesome i've gotten to learn a lot more here too about production and you know game designs particularly i've I've gotten to kind of delve a little bit more into game design explicitly and working in that on that side of things and it's been it's been incredible it's it's also been really nice during the pandemic (laughs) because the team is so kind uh, it's probably the kindest team I've ever worked with. Like everybody is really nice and That's supportive of each other. And like, yeah, and it's not kind in the way where like you can't challenge or have arguments or discussions. Like all that kind of still happens. Like people are constantly pushing each other to like to grow and to be the best product that we can create. Um, but it's a really supportive and kind and just like lovely environment where people genuinely like each other and like working with each yeah. other. Um, so it's been really good creatively and professionally because I've learned a lot and I've I've definitely understand a lot more about how to do live roadmaps and how to do update cycles yeah. and how to be a part of a team that's constantly shipping <laughs> but it's also just like really nice from like a people perspective right like this is a really yeah. like happy and healthy team and and that's been really important to me that's awesome to hear what is it like and obviously we mentioned in the case of watchdogs you were looking at some roadmap work there too as well as as well as grindstone what's it like working on a game because i mean there's a lot of people you know for the longest time games were a product you put it out on the shelves or the digital shelves and that was more or less it outside of maybe some patching in more recent years to you know fix up any bugs or those sort of things and now we're in a period where and we start to hear about a lot of roadmaps even before some games launch these days what is it like in this case you've come in after the game is launched and you're jumping in and you're trying to build on something that's already established so what sort of challenges would there be for you because you're coming in these other people's ideas that have already uh, born fruit at this point and you're trying to then mold and sculpt that to an extent anyway for its continued development what, what what's that like for you it's it's really it's a different kind of challenge right because you're, you're trying to uphold and maintain what's good about the game and what people love about the game while also continuing to push it a little bit in ways that naturally grow it and kind of maybe provide unexpected legs to the game, right? Um, For for me, roadmaps are really exciting. Like, live games are really exciting to work on because 
there's so many ideas that people want to put into a game that you can't necessarily get out on first ship. Um, so I really oh, like, sure. right? And so I really like this kind of live model as a way of like, okay, so we know we have all these ideas that could make the game better or different or expanded out, um, but we just don't have time. And so a live update kind of gives us that space to be like, okay, we know we really like this idea, but it's going to take this amount of work and this amount of time, and we don't have that right now, so we'll slot that in for later, right? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of these are the sort of things that for years people would say, we'll save that for the sequel. Yeah, exactly. And now it's the sort of thing that you can look to implement when and where appropriate, of course, but to that same title and make it the best it can possibly be. Yeah, and it felt really natural to do this with Grindstone because there's so much about this world that they created that has all these little good boundaries that you can kind of push out and pull out and extract things yeah. into that felt really natural to come and be like, okay, well, like, what if we added this type of thing here and this type of story beat here? And, like, and it just it had so much room in it already for all these different ideas yes. that it never really felt like pulling teeth or extending a thing past its its width right like this game naturally kind of expanded and so it was yeah. yeah so that was really cool no that's fantastic now more recently and i suspect there's not a lot you can particularly say about this one more recently you're working on unannounced projects over there is there is there anything you can say about that at all in terms of not necessarily in terms of what the project is per se because i can understand you know there's usually pretty pretty good reasons why we're not talking about the game is this and it does this and, you know at this particular stage of development, but um, obviously you've you know Watch Dogs you came in it was an established project, uh, Grindstone again an established uh, project that actually released in that particular case here you're getting to work with this this team that you love clearly, and I assume you're kind of coming in at square one on this particular project. Um, what's that been like so far? Without- I. I wish I could say anything about the title. I can't say anything. I wish I could. Oh, okay. there's, there's so much fun stuff to talk about, but at this time, no, I, I, no, I, can't. I can understand that. Not a problem <laughs> at all. No, it, it is one of those tricky, tricky ones. Yeah. Try, trying to, trying to dance around because I don't particularly, I understand obviously, obviously the circumstances and we can't talk about them in any great depth, but no, that's right. Not a problem at all. Um, another thing that I want to focus on before we start to wind things down and you actually flagged it a bit earlier than I'd perhaps expected you mentioned DMG before now you're a co-director of DMG these days um, which as I was doing a bit of research about it so with the kind of I guess snapshot kind of description as I interpret it is it's basically a space for queer and gender marginalized people within the gaming business is that is that about right yeah yeah so it's a it's a non-profit specifically uh, dedicated to providing space for uh, yeah, like queer and generalized marginalized or gender marginalized people to yep. play or make games, right? Um, it's very grassroots. It's very obviously community focused, um, and so it's it's designed around like how can we provide people skills to make the kind of games that they want to make. And we're and yep. what I love about DMG is it's not prescriptive of like a game is this. It's kind of like what well, whatever you want to make, whatever you want to call it. Like we can yep. help you and teach you and like provide access to knowledge and software and things like that that can help you make that thing you want to make so how do you fit that into the day-to-day at the moment what, what does that look like on a on a weekly basis at the moment um it's pretty natural i i've always been doing dmg work like i joined as a co-director yep. in 2019 but i was pretty heavily involved as a committee member and giving workshops Prior. and stuff like that beforehand um so i've kind of always always had that natural like split in my work like i have my day job that i do or yeah, i have my contracts that i do and then there's also dmg stuff in the evening or on weekends or you know lunch times um so it's it doesn't feel like i think it's more work than i've realized it is but it doesn't always feel like it just because it's it's 
people that I love. It's doing so much good. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's so important to me too, because like, I wouldn't be where I am without DMG, right? From, from the very first moment of like, they were the first people to be like, here's how you make a game as a writer. If you want to make a game up to like, you know, when things got tough in the industry and I had, you know, problems or I was experiencing like harassment or, or things were going on, they were such a, a place of support and safety and kind of helped me navigate that. Um, so I was never on my own. And then, yeah, they just also offered me like skills and networks and uh, I got introduced to contracts and people I worked with because of them. So they're just like such a fundamental part of how I operate in this industry that I could never imagine not doing it. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. And so it just kind of fits nicely in like, you know, it just, it just fits nicely into my life at this moment. Cause like events tend to take place at night. We have meetings on the weekends or in the evenings and it's not too onerous amount of the work. Cause it's yeah. also just, it's fun because it's also sometimes it's just hanging out with people I, I love and respect. So it's a shame that you've had to deal with some of the things you you kind of highlighted there, but it's it's so great that you and for anyone else who might have had to experience those sort of things as well that you've got this great supportive group around you that's going to ensure that everyone's kind of looking out for one another. I think that's fantastic to hear. Yeah, one of my biggest pieces of advice that I always give to people who are thinking to enter this industry is like find your people. You know, like find the yeah. people that get it, find the people that want you to succeed, that will support you, that will challenge you. Like you, you, I, I strongly believe that you need that kind of network around you and i think that that applies as you kind of highlighted there that applies to anyone no matter the industry they might want to get into as well having yeah having those people that'll be in your corner not um not so much that they'll potentially turn a blind eye to any of your own mistakes as you said you know people will still challenge you but it's it's so important to have those people you can feel confident will be there for you and will support you and and have your back when when you need the help yeah, exactly. And it's great that you've got that. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm so grateful and thankful to have DMG. Um, so as we start to wind things down, uh, a couple more serious ones and a few more little fun, uh, a few little fun ones. Firstly, could you ever see yourself at this point now with everything you've done? And we kind of touched on this a little bit before the books, everything you've done there. Could you ever see yourself going back to that in any sort of a full or part time capacity at this point, or is it? it's games from here on in it's definitely games from here on in like i think there are there are parts of books publish book publishing that's still exciting and interesting to me um but never as like a i'm gonna dedicate my full attention to this i just i i love the problem space of games so much i love making games so much and i love the people that i make games with so much right and so like it's just this industry definitely is exactly where i feel like i need to be and i i can't see you know an end to that no, that's fair. I mean, there's always the passion project on the side there that you're just chipping away at over time. So, yeah. uh, or something you're putting on the shelf, as we discussed before, that maybe you'll wheel out at some point. So, we can't rule it out. But it's it's fantastic you found something you love. That uh, after, as you said, twenty years of looking at one thing and thinking that was the future, and only to realize that it was only a, a small hop, skip, and a jump from there that was the the real great love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, as we start to wind things down, is there anyone out there that you've worked with or even that you look at from afar that really inspires you and the way you go about your work? Oh, yes. But now that you've asked a very specific question, my brain forgets everybody and anything (laughs) Yeah, it it, it does become one of those things like, oh, no, if I I forget someone or any of those sort of things, it's it's always a challenge. Yeah, I mean, like, I will say, like, I'm definitely inspired by 
people who I see operating very compassionately towards each other, right? Like, I'm such a big proponent of, like, the people you work with matter more than the project you're on. And so I'm always inspired by people that I see who are just really good leaders, you know? Like, I'm at this stage in my career where being a good lead, like, being a good leader in this industry is really important to me, right? And I want to make sure that I'm grappling with it and not being somebody who has bad habits or who's toxic and like making sure that like you know i'm I'm learning yeah that i'm learning how to support people the best that i can right and so like i'm i'm currently really driven by inspired by people who are just operating as these really compassionate and strong leaders right now yeah no i mean Again, again, we kind of we keep deviating a little. Oh, actually, it's mostly me doing it, to be honest. But we, like, we deviate a little bit from this this games conversation. And again, it's it's important everywhere you go to have those those positive influences, those forces for good, those people who are going to help guide a good culture. Um, no matter the organisation that you might be in, it's the, those people are incredibly valuable. And I'm I'm glad to hear that you've worked with a number of those people yourself, and that they can serve as a fantastic inspiration for you. Yeah, yeah, it, it's something I'm very grateful for because I, I want to, you know, I want to keep the door open behind me, so to speak, right? Like, I want to make sure that I'm using my success and my, my skills and my position to help other people get to where they yeah. want to be. Um, and so looking towards people who are good leaders is a really important part of that for me. Yeah, and also nicely done there, managing that without forgetting anyone as a result. <laughs> well <done. laughs> I need more coffee before I can remember things. No, that, that's that's fair. Uh, any particularly valuable lessons or experiences you've had along the way, things that have really stuck in the mind and helped guide you as you continue to make your way through the industry? Maybe something that was really useful when you were working in the, the freelance space that, you've been at, that was still really effective and useful for you at Ubisoft or at Cappy or similar sorts of equivalent experiences? Yeah, um, keeping my pride in check. I think as writers, yeah. we tend to I, we tend to have a little bit of ego. <laughs> um, and I think the one of the most helpful things for me was kind of just learning how to take and give proper feedback, right? Um, and kind of working that kind of collaborative relationship where you're not being driven by ego and pride, but more so just like being driven by being a good collaborator and trying to make a good yeah. product, right? And so for me, learning how to kind of like check my pride and focus on, you know, am I being a good peer am I being a good leader am I working with the people I'm working with or am I working against the people I'm working with right and I and I'm kind of constantly always like making sure that I'm working with the people versus against them and so so as you as you describe it you always just kind of checking in on it like what what does that look like for you like how do you kind of is it just I sit back and reflect one day I just take 10 minutes go okay have I and you just try and think through everything that's gone on what does that look like for you personally um for me personally it's a lot of being open and kind of soliciting feedback and kind of actively having conversations with people. So like currently at Cappy, um, with what I do with narrative, I try to really kind of foster a culture where everybody can contribute to narrative, right? Like everybody has story ideas, everybody has character ideas, everybody knows things about themes and how to kind of engage in this realm. And so I really want to support people in engaging with that, right? So I really try to like keep things like my world Bible open and and be there for feedback. And if people are like, oh, I have this idea, can I talk to you? Be like, yeah, absolutely. You know, like trying- Hash it out as a team. Yeah, exactly. Just trying to be really open and available and prioritizing listening versus responding and just kind of like what, what drives people, what are people interested in and how can I, in my work, facilitate those things? Are there, when when it comes to something again, such a creative industry, 
like how do you especially when you're in that sort of leadership position i assume people come with ideas all the time something's just popped to mind like how, how do you pass through all that all of that though because there would be a lot of ideas coming all the time there's obviously ideas that you've got in your own head things that have already been documented that we've agreed on up to this point and then someone walks in with something new an idea that might have just sprung to mind or they've been developing for a little while that they pitch how do you how do you try and pass through all that and work out whether it does or doesn't fit and what, what do those sort of conversations look like because not every everything can fit obviously otherwise that you project becomes so bloated that you possibly never get it done mm-hmm. but how do you how do you manage to pass through that and and find that sweet spot yeah so for me i try to figure out okay what where is this coming from is this an idea that the person is bringing up because they're excited about it or is this an idea the person is bringing up because they're bumping against something that already exists and so knowing which one of those two it is kind of really helps because if if it's a problem that the person feels exists in the story or the world or something like that then it's easy to kind of be like okay what like what is your experience of it what's causing the bump how can i kind of help is that friction or is that the intentional kind of friction i want right Um, yeah understood yeah or if it's something that somebody's excited about like i like fostering that kind of excitement right so it's like okay so if you're excited about this but maybe your exact idea doesn't fit is there a kernel of it or is there something about it that can fit someplace else and so constantly trying to you know just understand like what is driving the feedback or the person in that moment and how how i can you know support and work with that is is there like a tricky point though where it's like okay we we kind of no offense people but we need to stop with the ideas now we need to actually refine and polish what we've got is like is is that an issue that you potentially have to contend with as well um not so much to be honest and i think it's because everybody tends to be on the same page in terms of like where we are in the production cycle what we need to do to ship like where when when ideas can stop and when they can, and when they can come back again, um, yeah, okay. I, yeah. So I think something like grindstone, like working on like a live game like that, like it's it's that that cadence is very easy. It's where it's like okay, now we're all entering, we're locked, we're entering testing and ship mode, and then then once that's alleviated, once we've done sub, then we can kind the of the floodgates back. open again. Yeah, exactly. So so as, that's another oh, that's reason cool. why I really like working on live games, right? Because it does kind of have that cadence of ideas no stop ideas okay ideas could come back <laughs> yeah bo- bottle that we'll come back to it just just give us a couple of weeks yeah exactly no that's that's quite cool i like that all right so a couple of little fun ones as we wrap things up if you could be credited for any game in any capacity it could be just a simple special thanks if you like uh, but if you could be credited for any game in any capacity what game would you love to have been added into the credits for as having been in part responsible for it I guess What Remains of Edith Finch. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Great game. Yeah, I adore What Remains of Edith Finch so much. Um, it's it's kind of a master class of what I really like about games in terms of how story is connected to gameplay. It's kind of whimsical, kind of surreal, but it's grounded in a really real kind of moment and character. Yep. Um, it's just it's a really beautiful experience that I think does everything it wants to do really, really well. Um, and I just adore it. No, fantastic choice. And now I'm curious to know if we've got the same answer for this next question as well. If you could strike any one game from your memory and get and replay it from scratch as if you'd never played it before, what game would it be? Ooh, okay. So two answers. Oh, it's not Edith Finch. Okay. No, it's not Edith Finch um, because I can replay Edith Finch and there's always new things I find and I love about it. Um, one, I think the first thing I thought of was Outer Wilds because Outer Wilds is... is 
that game as well, right? It's a game where I love yeah. every single bit of it, and everything it's doing is just working together so well and so interestingly. So inventive. Yeah, um, and it really does kind of, like, there's so much joy in the exploration that kind of does necessitate not having any knowledge of it. Um, so there, there's that, but also yeah. I think maybe on the same level is the first Subnautica. There was nothing, oh, yeah, okay. right? Yep. There, there was nothing kind of quite like jumping into that water and not knowing, and not knowing what's coming. Exactly, right? And like going deeper and being really tentative and really That's excited. Cool. Yeah, like Subnautica is just such a pure adrenaline, interested exploration game for me that like I, I wish I could have that experience of not knowing what I was going to come across again. Yeah, I mean, d- does it? You know, if you just jumped in hypothetically today, does that? experience feel diminished now that you kind of know what could be around this corner or what what to expect around here do, do you feel like that's really lessened the experience or is it just one of those things that just could be greatly enhanced if i just got to do it again without this knowledge yeah i definitely don't think it's diminished like somatica is still a game i could jump into and still absolutely adore and have a great time with because I, I have different masteries now right and like i know how to yeah. survive and i can explore deeper and further um and so the experience of playing somatica is more enriched by me knowing what it is and having played through it um yeah. But yeah, just that initial like gut punch of like, oh, I just jumped into really deep water and I can't see anything. I don't really know what I'm coming across. Is, is terrifying in a way that like I really like. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I can appreciate that. And uh, look, I don't know if I was super excited when I couldn't couldn't see, but that's that might be just my experience. Like, oh my god, what's happening? What's happening? I'm screwing. The- oh, something's going wrong. Oh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely <laughs> I, I, I a think phobia. That fear didn't quite hit me in the same way, but. Maybe I'm just a wuss. You you like horror stuff. I don't. So there's the there's the maybe key point of difference there. I created it in my own head. <laughs> I'm driven by fear. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you very much for coming on the show and and sharing this awesome adventure so far. And who knows? Maybe we'll be chatting in a few more years with whatever this next Cappy project is. Who knows? Maybe we'll be going <laughs> off and working on that project that we've shelved for now. Thank you for coming on and sharing everything so far, Caitlin. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Uh, and I hope I was coherent at 8 a.m. <laughs> Absolutely were. That coffee has done wonders. If, the, if that's all it is that's powering you right now, it's done a phenomenal job. So, um, no, thank you very much for, for coming on and sharing the story so far. If people uh, want to learn more about what you're up to, maybe get in contact, just follow the, the projects that you're working on, where would they be best to go? Um, so my website is probably the easiest way to check in on where you where you want to follow me, if it's Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Um, so my website is thatmonstergames.com and has everything Great. you need. Awesome. Uh, social media, where would people be best to go there? Yep, so Twitter, I'm Kate underscore Zilla, K-A-I-T underscore Z-I-L-L-A. Um, yeah, and I'm not mega active, but I do exist there. <laughs> I guess maybe I am mega active. Who knows? It's hard to tell. <laughs> active enough that we were able to get in touch and make this happen. So I really appreciate that myself. Fair. <laughs> so as I said, thank you very, very much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for sharing everything you've been able to share. Obviously, where there's some little secretive things at the moment. I can't wait to see what they end up becoming. Um, but congratulations on everything you've accomplished so far. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a great time. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Caitlin's story. 
Thank you much for listening, and I'll see you next time.